Welcome to the Sweet Run Podcast. We're your hosts, Gerald Mitchell and Natalie Mitchell. So Nat, who are we talking to and where are we going this week? This week, we travel across the pond to London and are so happy to welcome Marcus Brown to the podcast. Marcus, best known on Instagram as the Marathon Marcus, is a marathoner who began running in 2006 and has since whittled down his time from 4.55 to a very fast 2.56. Marcus tells us a bit about his journey to pursue a sub three hour marathon, and he shows us that if you really want to achieve a goal, you'll keep pushing until it happens. Marcus is also a World Marathon Majors six-star finisher, writer, coach, co-founder of Black Trail Runners, and podcast host of his show, A Runner's Life, a great podcast which you should definitely subscribe to. In this episode, we have a fun and in-depth conversation about Marcus's running and future goals he is aiming to achieve, the mission of the Black Trail Runners, how he started his podcast, and of course, all things running, filling our stomachs, exploring, racing, and more in London. Marcus is truly an inspirational runner that is doing great things in the world, and we don't want to keep you waiting any longer. Please enjoy our conversation with Marcus Brown. So Marcus, thanks for being here, and we are excited to have this conversation. You're the first uh, across the pond conversation, so this is going to be awesome. And I jump right in with a kind of an easy one. We want to hear some history. Tell us about your running journey. Like, where did you start? Where did you get the bug? And where are you now? So, yeah, I started running as a bet from a friend. This was after university. I didn't run at school. I wasn't super athletic. And I played soccer quite a bit. But then I didn't really play so much in, in university. I was just enjoying life a little bit too much. And I had a friend, like I said, he did like a half marathon and 10K and he challenged me to do it. I tried to find a lot of excuses initially and then he got me and then I had to do a race. So it was a 10K back in 2006 and that was my first experience with training. I did all the rookie mistakes, but you don't know what you don't know. And it kind of snowballed, it kind of snowballed from there. So that was my first experience. I really loved, didn't love the training, but I loved the experience of uh, running, completing it and this felt like a runner. I felt like I'd achieved something. And then from there, I, you know, was really enthusiastic. So I think I tried to rush the process too quickly. I did lots of halves and 10Ks and was getting injured and not really understanding things. Um, yeah, and it kind of snowballed there to the marathon. It's not only until probably the last few years where I found my coach. And with his help, I've been able to really understand training and what's required and that's been really helpful to have someone who's like a sounding board, but also shows that how just th- good things take time. And, you know, the process isn't always going to be sunshine and rainbows, but you can find good in the challenging moments. I mean, last year I was aiming to go sub three. and I went three times, didn't quite make it. And each time I got closer, I did 305, 301, three hours and 19 seconds. And then this year happened. Then we had lockdown. I was just like, man, like what's happening? London got postponed. Obviously, it was for elites only. And then I found a race uh, towards the end of the year, which was different to what we normally do in terms of 
just it's socially distanced you know you run like groups of six but it's like, it seems like a time trial because you're running it mostly by yourself and yeah and I got the sub three there so it was an amazing feeling and it just goes to show that like even this whole year with the things happening just like not to give up the faith and just not to give up and it's just all t- when I go back to my first marathons and my slowest marathons you know I'm still buzzing from running that sub three like a month ago and it's just uh, an amazing feeling. No, congratulations. I know that's always a big mi- uh, milestone to, uh, to you know, go sub three. Yeah. I know yeah. Natalie and I have got similar sort of goals as well to get the uh, sub 245 next. So that's, uh, that's the next goal. All right. I'm so excited for you. And, and so I'm laughing a little bit because we definitely, I definitely had to let Gerald go first because we knew that if I jumped in and started talking to you, we would go off go off on our, on our tangent, like we did on your podcast. And, uh, and it would just kind of like, you know, run away. So anyway, you guys, um, Marcus, I'm so happy that you're, you're here. I can't believe like I was on your podcast a few months ago and now you're on our podcast and we get to chat some more. So I'm excited. I'm excited about this conversation. I just, first of all, I'm stoked for you. You ran 256.19 and I was holding my breath. I knew you were going to run sub three. I knew you were going to do that. And um, I just didn't know how, you know, how much past the barrier you were going to get. And when I saw that, I was just doing a little happy dance for you. How did you feel when you crossed the finish line? Relieved, I think, because the, the track that we ran, it was like a looped course. So it's four loops and it was windy, it was raining, so it was reminiscent of Boston 2018. But the first two laps we had like crosswinds, so it wasn't too bad. But then the wind direction changed for the last two laps, and that got really tough. So you had to really dig in. And at points, I was feeling nauseous as well towards the end of the marathon. And that was happening. Then you've got all these things happening. You're thinking, it's one of those times you can sort of almost lose your mind almost and just kind of submit to the external factors but I had to really remind myself of what I could control just trying to do the right things so for example even though I did feel a bit nauseous I was a bit like just manage your your pace as much as you can without being sick but still make sure that you don't neglect your fueling so I mean the last I guess you know 10 miles of the marathon are really tough before that I felt generally good I felt in a good place but you know you just have to remind yourself of just like what you know what, what you've done to get there and then when I got towards the end you know sometimes you can get into a race and start thinking oh I've almost there start celebrating but I was just like no do not celebrate do not start thinking you, you've done it until you've crossed the line so when I crossed the line it was an amazing feeling but it's also that you know you cross the line by yourself there's no crowds there's nothing like the majors mm-hmm. you haven't got that that buzz so you're kind of missing that so it's almost not an anti-climax but it's almost like it's almost like a long training run but but obviously you get the medal and it's like chip time. So, but it's just a strange feeling. But afterwards I felt immensely proud. And I remember driving back and just feeling quite emotional about it. Cause I remembered like, you know, I, one of my slowest marathons was 4.55. And I remember you know, just doing everything, you know, just making so many rookie mistakes and wanting to quit and walk off and hating running and like, you know, stop running for a couple of years. And just to think back to that person to think, wow, like, man, you almost quit, but look at what you're doing now. And it's funny when people look at you think, oh, you're some sort of freak of nature. But it's like, well, no, I struggled. And, you know, I had to go through my own challenges to get here. But those I, those experiences made this much sweeter, if that makes sense. Absolutely. 
Oh yeah. I mean, we all know as runners, we, you know, there is no like direct linear path to, to what, where we want to go. I mean, we go through ups and downs and things happen. And I think that's what makes it so sweet when you finally achieve your goal, because you know that you've gone through a lot to get there. So that's awesome. Did you, I wanted to ask you, did you, um, were you completely by yourself the whole time? Did you have anyone out there at all pacing or cheering for you? Or what did that look like? So there were no crowds allowed and we only had the runners and we were encouraging each other. So we had, for everyone sub three, we could start at nine o'clock, but we were going off in different pens and it would be pens of six people. And obviously you weren't encouraged to run together. You kind of encouraged obviously with the current situation that we find ourselves in. So you couldn't really find a, a group sometimes to, to, to go to go with. And I found that most of the time I was running by myself. But you'd see the same people, you know, as you look back and see different points. So, you know, we encouraged each other and I thought it was really amazing. And I was wearing um, a vest with supporting a charity called Sands, which do a lot to support uh, parents that have lost children during various stages of pregnancy. And I remember, like, there's a couple of people there who probably knew about Sands or, you know, donated. I'm like, keep going, Sands, you're doing really great. And like that helps and sort of boost you. And then you try to do the same for your your colleagues, I guess, because you, you're all out there experiencing the same sort of feeling of being in that, that weather, but you just kind of accept it. You're just like, it, it, it's not ideal, but you embrace it because if you let it get to your head, then, you know, there's another thing that you can just to kind of derail you. And you just think like all the work you've done, and you're like, am I going to let rain for like a couple of hours stop me? No. Yeah. Yeah. And you had, I was following your training and you had a really great, such a strong training block. I mean, I feel like it was pretty flawless. And so to see it all come together, it really is, really is so cool. I'm so happy for you. Um, I wanted to ask you too um, about your fueling. Cause you were saying you're starting to feel a little nauseous and I know you use Morton. Yeah. And I started using it and I really like it. So was that, were you fueling only with that or what did your fueling look like? Can I just part that for one second, just go back to the point you just made before about, you know, the training being going really well. And I, I think it's an important point for people to understand. Probably last year when I was running Manchester and I ran three or five, that was probably my best training cycle where I was hitting all my paces and I didn't make it. And I think that's partly to do with one, I got food poisoning the night before, but also the belief and it's hard to explain it before this race I just knew I just felt a calm in me that it was going to happen I didn't feel the kind of generally like the nerves before the year before just that and that kind of unsure it was I mean you can't be fully certain of anything but I just had a belief of faith in me I knew that I did the work within that training block and training blocks before so I just knew that my time was going to come at some point Mm-hmm. and uh yeah I, I just believed it was gonna happen then so so i went off as a tangent but i'm gonna answer your question about the nutrition so yeah mortar works for me and yeah it's just one of those things unfortunately you get nauseous during races i mean what i try and do is i don't try it i do this every time but i i practice my nutrition in my long run so i replicate my breakfast exact breakfast and then the exact morton drink mix before the race and then during the runs, I take every half an hour, say 25 minutes, I just take a gel. So the caffeine gel, then a regular gel, caffeine gel, and a regular gel. And I did that at trading. I was doing 18 mile plus 22 mile runs and 
everything was working great but sometimes that's just the race you know you're moving at such a pace and your stomach is kind of turning and there's so many things happening you know you it's just one of those things and I've experienced sickness and nausea in a race before like in Manchester I spoke to you about getting food poisoning fortunately the, the day of the race I was fine to go but I experienced that nausea and I actually threw up at the, the, the finishing line so and I've had it in other races where you get to 18 plus and you start feeling that sickness and you're thinking oh man what do I do and I ease off and yeah so I was just like well I've been sick before and I didn't die so I'm sure I can get through this and I was like if I stop fueling now and I'm gonna hit the wall so it was kind of like trying to manage all these kind of you speak to someone who doesn't run and it's like that doesn't make any sense if you feel sick just stop <laughs> but you're just trying to manage it you're trying to go on your limit without you know without crossing that line but then still making sure that you feel yeah to your previous point about you know, having done the Manchester and maybe the mindset wasn't completely right as opposed to this one you just did and where yeah. the training, like you said, the training was there, but maybe the mindset wasn't. And then this time your yeah. mindset was just, I got it. It's coming. I know this is it. You know, um, yeah. I, I think the whole process it becomes very, very mental. You know, we can all do the training, um, yeah. but then it's getting over that hump mentally um, and like, especially if there's nausea and weather and trying to balance that all in your head with, no, I'm not stopping. I'm not going to die. You know, I, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. So yeah, it's, that's good to illuminate that for people. Yeah. And I, I wanted to know like what, at what mile were you at in the marathon when you felt like, oh my gosh, I feel sick to my stomach. About mile 14, just quite early. Yeah okay and All it's right. not something that happened in like my training runs before so I was doing 18 mile runs at tempo pace so I was feeling good and yeah it's just one of those things that I look at like the, the marathon will throw you some sort of curveball and you have to just respond back to it. it I mean it might knock you back but you don't you can get back up so yeah Sure. What was your, um, what was your half marathon time? Like when you look down at your watch, I mean, I feel like we kind of like do these checkpoints and when we're running a race, what was your half time as you know, when you got to the halfway point? Good point. I think it was about one twenty-five. Okay. Yeah, okay. So you were, you were moving and then, so you ran one twenty-five, and you're like, okay. Um, and then you get to 14 and you start to feel nauseous. And how long did that last? It was like 14 through the end, or at some point did you kind of feel better and feel a little bit more confident and, you know, making it through? It just caved in waves until the end. It was just really just trying to manage it. Yeah. So it, it was, it, was, it wasn't ideal, but I guess that's life really. I mean, mile one, I, I try and, you know, I, I, I ease back because I think you're in tape of legs, so you, you can go too quick. And I was just, you know, managing it. And then, I felt good. I was in a good rhythm, a good pace. And up until that point, and yeah, then that plus the weather and the wind, and you're just like, all these things happening. It's like, nope, nope, just stop. <laughs> you, this is what you're here to do. You can suffer, for, not suffer, but you can get through this discomfort for an hour and a bit. You can do this. You've done all the training. You know, I always feel, I always have this thought in my head of like, how I'm going to feel at the end of a goal marathon when I know I've reached my goal. Like you just wonder I mean because so far I haven't you know achieved that or like there's some sort of disappointment like even though you're happy because maybe you achieved a PR but you didn't get the PR that you wanted or it didn't break sub three but like 
as you were crossing that finish line, I mean, just were you just feeling the sense of like euphoria, relief, uh, you know, tell us about that. To be honest, it's been a, a process. It, it wasn't like this magical kind of moment where I was just like, oh, I've done it. <laughs> Kissing everyone, hugging everyone. One, because of Corona, so you can't do it anyways. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think mainly because it was just such a, almost like an anticlimax for the race. There was no people, there was no atmosphere. So it was just get your medal, get back to the car, get to some warm clothes because you're freezing. So it was a bit of an anticlimax. And I was just like, in my head, I was like, I've done it. But I was just kind of not really feeling it if that makes sense because I think in you in the process of running a marathon you're not really feeling you're just doing you're just kind of going is checking things off and then I got into the car and I drove back and then I that's probably the first time it really hit me and I felt really emotional just like man you've you've done this like you've proved yourself right you know you didn't listen to the doubts didn't listen to other people's opinions about what you could and what you couldn't do you've done something and and I think from then moving forward, I think this it's come in moments where you're just like, man, like you, you sit back and you're like, man, I proved myself right. It's, it's a sense of just pride that I don't think I've come off it. I want to say like you, sometimes you say you do a marathon and you kind of like, you come off it and you're like in this sort of hole. I don't think I've come off it. I've just, because I know the work that's been required to get here. So it's just such a satisfying feeling. And I remember the times where I've been in tears post races where even though I've got a PR but I'm not hit sub three you know you just really appreciate just those moments and and also the people that helped you get there as well sure yeah I mean absolutely I mean and you were saying you you had three different attempts you know to get sub three and you always came up just a little bit short even though they were amazing times and you were flying and they were fast and but it just didn't come together that day which we all I mean for everybody listening we all know that Sometimes it just doesn't come together the way that we want it to. But, you yeah. know, every time we finish a marathon, it's such an accomplishment. But to finally get that goal is certainly, certainly very sweet. Yeah, for sure. No one could take it away from me. So, I don't, yeah, I'm so proud of it. Absolutely. And I just, I have a quick question about racing in the era of this COVID madness. So what did it look like out there? I mean, did you guys have masks on before you started? Was it a limited field? Like, how was it racing in this crazy era of COVID? It was a limited field race. So I think there was about 600, but I think probably about 500 and something completed the race. But it was very competitive. Usually for these type of races, you wouldn't probably have such a competitive field. But because you know, there's no races. It, <laughs> we had a lot of fast runners there. We had like someone on a bike pacing the people up front. And when I came in, I think 130th, and I still were like, it was, so I ran 256. So you can tell how competitive that, that field was out of a field of about 580, I think it was. 550, around about that sort of number. So, yeah, I mean, running it was really surreal because like I said, we were running in like groups of six and you go off and you'll start and it just felt like an extended time trial it felt like a training run with a bib on you got a medal at the end it just felt kind of strange but yeah I mean the support from the runners and you know we all helped each other I think that was amazing but is it ideal probably not would it be my choice no I mean I'd love to run in like New York or London where you got the crowds and the atmosphere but that's almost like a time of old and it's not really worth holding on to it because even if we get like a vaccine, whatever, 
will things go back to the way they were? Will people want to be in such close proximity to each other? Will the hangover of COVID, you know, what will that look like? So, you know, I, I miss those races, but I'm not kind of harp, harping on that that's going to come back in, 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 the, in that sort of form. So I'm just happy to sort of take a race as it comes to us. It's not ideal. But I mean, it, it did the job, and sometimes it's even more satisfying that you could get a PR when in those kind of environments. You think, well, if we had like an amazing year when everything went back to normal, quote unquote, then what would it be like with that, with that energy? Yeah. And yeah. one thing I was going to ask too is you know, you have done all six Star World majors, and yeah. with that, what was that as an accomplishment and what does your support look like? You know, we all have like, there's the folks who are putting on the race and the volunteers, but for you personally, as you've gone, you know, through all six world star, uh, star world majors, um, yeah. what does your support look like personally when you travel and do all these things? So yeah, my main circle is my wife and my kids and my coach. And by that, I kind of, I try to keep my circle small if that makes sense because I think you need to keep those opinions full and although I put stuff out on Instagram and I interact quite a lot I I try and keep a lot of opinions out I mean you obviously listen to things but you try not to let it affect you I mean I'm not running thinking what does John in Nevada think about me at this point (laughs) so (laughs) I'm thinking like I want to make my my family proud because they're the ones that see what you're doing they're the ones that see you get up and come back tired and you know they're there to pick you up especially after this appointment. So, I mean, like I said, like I'm pretty unemotional, but I mean, I cried in like <laughs> after New York marathon and I ran three hours and 19 seconds with PR, but I was just like 20 <sighs> seconds. So that's all you can think about. Yeah. So yeah, I'd say my family are definitely the, the main sort of supporters. But when I did the marathon majors, I mean, I made so many good friends traveling and, you know, we'd travel to different spots and we'd see each other and, you know, without naming names, I mean, there's so many that, that I, I know and, you know, still speak to. And it's such an incredible feeling, like when we, you know, completed it in Boston, because we we all know what we've had to go through to, to do it. And in fairness, I look, you know, you could run six marathons anywhere. I mean, what does, what's makes the marathon major special? I think there's so much more to it. I think it's just a travel aspect. It's a sense of adventure. It's sometimes something beyond you. So for example, when I first started the majors, before they became the six, I ran London and Berlin. And I thought, you know what? That's my lot. I don't think I could do any more. And then I spoke to a friend who'd run the New York City Marathon. And I was like, it can't be as good as London, right? She's like, no, it's better. I was like, what? Mm. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I need a piece of this. So I need, I figured out how to get into New York. And then I ran it and she was right. It was just incredible. I mean, London and like New York are still like that. It's, I mean, it's like, yeah, like yeah, yeah. that's what I was I mean, thinking like, too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not like a, like that mass massive, but it, for me, it was just a spark and it made me think of actually, why are you limiting yourself to this sort of thing? Sometimes you need someone to see things, but then once you've done that, you're just like, oh, if they can do it, why can't I do it? Sure. And that's basically, so when I did the six, that's was, was an amazing feeling because it was kind of like, again, something people can't take away from you, that you know what you've had to do to kind of break from some of those limiting beliefs. Yeah, that's awesome. That's definitely on my bucket list. I feel like I would like to do all six of them. Um, 
I've only done two. I've done Chicago and Boston and that's it. So I've got a ways to go, but, um, but yeah, it'll happen. I mean, I think like you were saying, I mean, we don't know what our new normal is going to be and how we go back to like some sense of like, I don't know. I don't, I think you're right. I think it won't go back to exactly the way it was. And so we just kind of have to accept it. And then we'll kind of see what the next, you know, one or two years or, or more will bring. Um, yep. But Marcus, I wanted to pivot a little bit because I want to I want to talk about you've got two awesome things besides your running, which is a huge thing. And I love following your running. But you're also the host of a great podcast, a runner's life podcast. And you're also co-founder of Black Trail Runners. Tell everybody a little bit about those two, you know, adv- you know, endeavors and things that you're doing. It's pretty awesome. So both of them actually came about through lockdown, ironically. So the podcast was more about a sense of connection because as humans, we like to speak to people. And I was thinking, how can I connect with other people and take some of those conversations offline, but put them online? But selfishly, I, I like to ask questions that I want to know the answers to because I'm thinking about it. And you sort of got this as well because we were having a conversation when we when you were on my podcast because we are just basically in the same sort of place, <laughs> just trying to, <laughs> do I mean... And I thought that was really cool. And I really enjoy speaking to different runners. And I, I think the thing that I've learned is that there's more that unites us and divides us, regardless of speed. You know, we're going through similar emotions. We've all got challenges outside of running. and But running gives us something that, you know, you can't take away from us. And it shows something, a strength that we don't always recognize. And, you know, listening to people's stories just outside of running has been incredible. And I'm really enjoying this conversations and just speaking to people. So yeah, that was more of a, a sense of connection and just really asking the bigger questions as well. But also separately, when you look at a lot of the podcasts, no respect, some of the bigger podcasts, they're not really hosted by people of color. You don't see anyone. I know you can't see one of the podcasts, but you know, to the host. So you're just like, well, they don't, they kind of, you know, they're part of the community, but they don't represent me. So I thought, well, why, why aren't there any people of color doing something like that? So I thought, well, why not me? Yeah, I don't think I'm probably like the most polished or like I'm not a journalist, but I was just like, well, I'm a curious person. So why not me? So I started it. Uh, and I think that's the thing about life. Sometimes you've got to start something. You're not going to be great at it, but you just got to go through it. Like some of my, my early episodes, you just sort of cringe at listening to it, but it is what it is. So I wouldn't take it away. I mean, they're out there now. And uh, Black Trail Runners. So again, that started from lockdown following obviously what's happened especially in the states i know there's been a lot of things in regards to george floyd and Ahmad Aubrey, but even in the uk there's been things against like mark duggan you could look at stephen lawrence i mean there's been so many cases of just like <laughs> police brutality or just uh, racist murders basically against black people and i think you get to the stage of just like i want to be in the right side of history especially when you've got kids you're just like what what were you doing when this happened um and you could say, well, you could be protesting and whatever, but obviously it's different, difficult because you're thinking, well, what, where's that going to lead to? So with Black Runners, we looked at running and diversity. So you could look at like, like marathons and things like that, and people say, yeah, there's loads of black people running marathons and whatnot. They are, but they're not people that I can identify with. I mean, I'm not running in Ethiopia or Kenya. Uh, but when I look at people around me, even like running in London, I mean, I don't really see a lot of people like look like me running so that's the thing but then we also thought about outside of like the urban spaces in in the uk so london is very multicultural but 
outside of that, and you know, you've got some of the other areas, like Birmingham, bigger cities as well, Manchester. There's lots of culture there, but I mean, when you go outside those cities, it's kind of it's hard to sort of see yourself represented. And as I said, there's a statistic that said I think there was less than one percent of people of color that go to like UK parks, natural spaces, um, and that's basically the point that we're sort of highlighting. And we put a call to action to speak to race directors and so we say, give us your data, ethnicity data, and they didn't have any data. And even the data that we've got through now, I mean, <laughs> the numbers are so low in terms of representation. So we've got a campaign called 21 and 21. And you can look at it any way you want. So basically year 2021, 20, we want to get say 21 people. And it could be a races or I mean, just different events, but the whole idea is to increase the numbers of representation and we're going about by three pillars as well. We've talked about that. We've got access, representation, and education. So, you know, we've got a podcast, separate podcast as well. We're doing workshops. Where, you know, we're speaking to different brands, different race directors. And, you know, we're organizing different things just to encourage um, black people within, you know, who don't normally run outside of London in, in different areas to you know that the space is for them as well. And, one of the pushbacks I always want to clarify is that when you hear black Tyrone, people think it's some, some sort of black separatist group. It's not. The thing is, if everything was all equal and, you know, running was as, you know, utopian as we all like to think it is, then it, the group wouldn't exist. And I'd be happy for that. You know, if we could all run without noticing colour and but everyone would feel equal and was, you know, seen, represented, job done, we'd end the group. But as it's as we sort of said, we've got the, the statistics and even with some of the the race data that we're getting through now it's just it's shockingly low in terms of like how many black people are actually in trail races or going out to those those spaces so for me it, it's it's wider than what i'm doing in terms of stuff on my my my, my own goals and i think you kind of want to be on the right side of history as well and with kids you know you've got your, your parents as well you kind of want to you also you want to leave the board in a better place yeah. yeah oh my gosh. I'm so excited for what you guys are doing. I, you know, when I first saw that you were, it came out and you were promoting it. And I thought this is really, this is so important. This is something that's going to be valuable for our community. Um, and, and, and by the way, I mean, I know I'm just one person and I know I'm a black person, so maybe I didn't take it this way, but I hope that people wouldn't think of it as a separatist type of group. I mean, I think it's, I think the way you guys are presenting it is so it's such a it's such a positive thing. And I think you're right. I mean, I know for Gerald and I, you know, we we live in an area where there's lots of trails and we do a lot of trail running. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, we don't see any other black people on the trails, you know, very often. And so I think it is, you know, so important to show to show the world and to show people that other, you know, other people of color that yes, this space is for you to come, you know, join us. You know, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful sport. And I mean, obviously road running, we love road running, we love road marathons, but trail running is a big, you know, I have a big piece in my heart that I love trail running. And I think it is important to show people of color that this space is for you too. And it's a beautiful, world to explore in London and across the pond here in the US. And so I think what you guys are doing is really fantastic. So congratulations on, yeah. on starting that. Thank you. You know, I, think I was going to say, it's funny the way you, what one thing that crossed my mind was 
it would almost be interesting if you put a end date to black trail runners, right? Like whether it's 50 years from now or 20 or hundred, whatever it is, if you're like, look, the goal is that this is not necessary, right? And so yeah. we're gonna work our tails off from now till 2070 or what, I don't know. It's just kind of a thing, because I agree with you. It would be a great thing if it just wasn't an issue, but it's okay that it is because there's people who can do something about it and you're taking a stance and you're you're trying to build some some momentum around just inclusion. So bravo. Yeah. I like that idea to be honest. I think yeah, it definitely adds a bit of like impetus really, for sure. And it's, yeah. Yeah, it's different what it's about. No, I like that. And actually going back to the point that you, that you said Natalie as well about um, just how people sort of perceive it. Like, interestingly enough, when two of our co-founders did a, a post on Runners World in the UK and all the podcasts, we got like comments coming back straight away and people hadn't even listened to the, the podcast before they were jumping in and being like, oh, you know, you can get an entry into any race. Okay, we're not saying that. I, you can get on the train and go anywhere. Okay, we're not saying that. I think sometimes people forget that just because, yes, you can get a train, you can enter into a race, it's more subtle than that. Sometimes if you're not comfortable in an area, if you, you're the only one you, you see, that's you, that's your lived experience. So who am I to tell you that that's ridiculous? Just because, like, for example, when I did the World Marathon Majors, yeah, I was probably the only black guy that I knew doing it in my group that I knew, but I didn't see anyone else. But it's not for me to tell someone else, oh, yeah, I did it, so you can do it. You can't dismiss other people's experiences. So, you know, I think that's what that's one of the sort of the arguments that we get coming back. And um, I just think sometimes people are so blinkered in their privilege, their, the way that they do things, that they just don't realise that actually what you can do, some people can't do. So you can't diminish you can't diminish their their lived experience. No, I totally agree with you. And I mean, I think both of us, I mean, all three of us living in major big cities in the world, London and Los Angeles. I mean, there's so many examples of that. Like if you go, you know, into the inner city, into the inner part of Los Angeles, I mean, there aren't the access to trails and, and just different things. And I think what happens sometimes is that people get stuck in their world, in their bubble, and they're doing their thing and they have their, their particular sport that they're doing. It never even really, sometimes it might not cross their mind that there is a whole world. And I'm, I'm speaking of Los Angeles right now, the Santa Monica Mountains and all these beautiful mountain ranges that we have, the San Gabriel Mountains. I mean, we could go on and on and on where there's a whole beautiful, you know, nature, uh, there's an oasis to be explored and, and all of these things. But I think sometimes, you know, people that live in certain areas, and that happens to be sometimes a lot of people of color, you know, living in the inner part of the city, don't either, you know, they don't have access to it, and they're not really thinking about it, and they don't see other people doing it as well, and their family maybe, you know, is not doing it. So it's not being talked about. So then, it never even happens. It's not even like they might be thinking, well, I can't do it. It's kind of sometimes can be like, we don't even talk about it. Like it doesn't even come yeah. up as an issue, but like, a, a, you know, an organization like Black Trail Runners, what if, you know, for instance, that came across their radar somehow. And then they're like, oh yeah, mm. look at all these other people that are doing it. I didn't even think about that. I'm going to try that too. So yeah. it's just, it's such a positive thing um 
Yeah. I mean, there's... I know this might blow people's minds though, but like, sorry to interrupt, but like what you just said there reminds me of something that happens in the UK that there's people that live in cities or areas and they never travel outside that area. Now we can take it for granted. Yeah. You, know, you get on a plane and you go to Japan and race in Tokyo. Oh, it's, you can just do it. So sometimes people don't. Some people have never left their country. I'm sure there's Americans that haven't left America and haven't got a passport. I'm sure the same as people in the UK that some people have never left the UK and haven't got a passport. So you can't just assume that everyone's just going to be something, like you said, that they haven't seen. I mean, you can't be what you can't see. So like I said to you about me doing the New York marathon, that's a perfect example. I didn't think I could do it until I saw someone that I could that did do it. I was like, why am I living myself? But not everyone's going to be able to have that person to, to push them to do something like that. Awesome. Yeah, I think that, you know, and, and Marcus, you and I were talking about this definitely on your podcast as well. I think not everyone is going to have like the confidence to think, even though they don't see anyone else like them doing something. I don't see anyone else, you know, in my family. I don't see any of my friends. I don't see anybody in any advertisements or anything running a marathon, but I'm going to run a marathon. There definitely are people that think that way, but I do yeah. think it takes a certain sort of confidence and the thinking outside the box. Um, and for, for, you know, the rest of the people that aren't thinking that they do need to see like, oh yeah, you know, like, I mean, we all are looking at advertisements and TV commercials and all these things and kids are looking at things. So yeah, it, I know we could go off forever on this, yeah. but I think it is such, it's such an important conversation that I know is really happening in our, in our world of running right now and, and in the world in general. So um, yeah. 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 I mean, speaking of which, if I, we pivot again, let's switch over to the, tr I guess, the travel side, right? Yeah. And so now I, I always just kind of, I always just start thinking of it like, hey, you know, a friend of mine has asked me about, um, hey, I'm headed to London. I'm going to be, I'm going to have some extra time. I want to get a run in. And where should I? And they're like, oh, we've got to figure that out. And I go, oh, I got my friend Marcus here. So if Marcus, if I'm asking whether it's for myself or I'm sending somebody your way, where would you start in terms of, hey, where should I run in London? What are your favorite runs, whether they're right inside the Heart City Center or maybe just outside the city, um, a tube ride away? Tell us about your favorite runs. Yeah, um, as you could appreciate, London is a huge area. I think it's over 30 plus boroughs, you know, several hundred square miles. It's just like a big place. So it depends on which area you're on. I know people are going to focus on being in the centre of London. You can run the centre, but obviously it's going to be congested. You can run by the Thames if you want. I mean, there's so many great ways down there. But for me, I like to go to a place called Victoria Park, which is in East London, and it's near the Olympic Park. I mean, Olympic Park's a great place to run in as well. That's been redeveloped since the 2012 Olympics. But for me, Victoria Park is great because you've got it's just like a looped course, I'd say. It's like two miles, of, and it almost replicates us running on the road. It's running on the road, basically, without traffic. And so for me, although, you know, some people find loops quite boring, for me, it's, you know, it's predictable. You know, sometimes when you're in a zone of running, you just want to keep going. Whereas if you're running in the street or the pavement, you have to stop your watch. You know, you've got hurdle dogs and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's just like crazy. It's a madness. You're just like, I don't need this. So for me, that's like my place that if I want to, run like a long time like in the zone out and just go um but then for trails you've got like epping forest you can uh, run down obviously the 
River Lee as well. So I guess for the Black Trail Runners, I'm sort of jumping ahead. Like Epping Forest is a great place to, to run in because you've got, you know, you've got the trails in the city. Um, mm-hmm. So there's one particular um, view actually that you can look across. And um, I did a sh- shot with Tracksmith actually, and you can sort of see into the city and it's just amazing. And, uh, you know, on one hand, you've got like the green places of, of Greater London, but then you can sort of see the city as well. So it's just uh, there's so many places that you, you can run in, in London like that. So, um, yeah, those are my sort of top. I, I think those are the ones that I like the most, I think. Oh, very good. So, yeah, so I want to talk about Epping. Is it Epping Park? Epping Forest. Epping Forest. Okay. So that yeah. sounds beautiful. Is that like, I mean, like, is that literally right in the heart of the city or right outside of the city? Um, if people were staying in the city center, like how would they, would it be easy to get to? Uh, it probably, it's probably like the greater areas. So I guess like greater London, they'd probably say that. So near Chingford, Essex type way, but you you can get, like train links are, are good obviously you can get ubers and taxis and things like that so it's not like um <laughs> out on the sticks and you're just like <laughs> how am i gonna get home yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the links are good to there so yeah, yeah it, it, it's well connected okay because we've been to london a couple of times but we haven't run in victoria park um yeah. that sounds really beautiful is it a mixture of asphalt and trail or is it is it all asphalt what's the terrain like and is it you got, hilly or yeah you got asphalt uh paths as well so i mean it's not very hilly so that's why i like it it's, it's pretty smooth it's pretty flat but if you're in sort of central london i mean you've got like the royal parks you've got hyde park which is actually where i did my first 10k so i mean that's a beautiful place to run in um i mean if you start like down there you could actually do like a circuit of like the royal parks you can go past buckingham palace i mean if you're in london i mean we could do like a route along there so that's a kind of like a nice easy kind of jog and almost like a tourist sort of um stop and snap type thing but yeah there's so many it's great places to run and you don't have to go to victoria park but i mean if i was in central london i probably would just stay central and just be in like hyde park or something like that oh that sounds okay. awesome so where, where would you say is the best place to stay in London? Like a little boutique hotel, or I don't know how much you guys um, across the pond do, you know, like rentals, like a rent, renting an apartment or a house while you're there, or do people more, um, are more likely to stay in a hotel? What do you recommend? It's a hard question to answer because obviously been in London, I've not really stayed in the hotels i've only stayed where i've lived so it's a hard one i, I think it depends if you're what your budget is if you really want to go fancy you can go to like places like you know claridge's the ritz that kind of stuff um you know but you can you get like budget sort of places like uh premier inn but i know with americans i think <laughs> they get like double sized beds so i'm not quite sure whether that's going to be big enough for most people um i'm not saying that people are, are large i'm just saying that just being tall so i mean like if you're like if you're in like a double bed because most people have got like a queen or a king size bed haven't they so a double sized bed is kind of like what it was like when you were a teenager <laughs> so. right no marcus i know you're trying to say americans are we're large people <laughs> so, giants that's what i'm saying like giants you come over and see us little people in london so uh, yeah <laughs> but yeah it depends i mean you can get airbnbs as well um you know there's so many sort of it, so, uh, routes as well i mean like if i was to sort of say run the london marathon i probably would try and get like an airbnb or just something central like a premier inn but it just depends on your budget sometimes you, you might want to go for uh 
like an American type hotel, you know, and go for those. There's plenty of those around as well, especially in the center. And if, if you feel comfortable that way, or you can go for like quite high end, especially in like the UK, like I said, like Claridge's and those sort of places. But there's a budget for everyone and there's, there's places to go and stay. So um, whatever budget you've got, I mean, you, you could find somewhere. Even if you're traveling, you could find like, you know, just like a lot cheaper places. Yeah, no, that's, I know London is such a big city. I'm sure there's a vast a, a array of options for everybody. Um, yeah. And I was going to ask too, it, when you're, you know, when it's a major world city like London, um, we can all all get kind of caught up in the tourist attractions, the main things you have to see. But I was going to ask in terms of if you're thinking London, if I'm coming there, are there any neighborhoods or areas that you would say, you know what, try this to get a real slice of life, or this is maybe something you're not thinking about that you've seen in the on movies, TV, or the you know kind of thing of you know. Big Ben, Parliament. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Beyond Big Ben and Parliament and Buckingham Palace. <laughs> but you know what? I'll tell you an interesting fact, actually. Uh, Big Ben actually is the wrong name because it's the name of Big Ben is actually the name of, of the bell itself. Mm -hmm. And it's actually that tower is called Elizabeth Tower. But no one really calls it by the, the official name. I guess we all call it Big Ben. I don't know why. But that's the I name never of the knew that. Bell. Well, at least in, in the U.S., it's because of National Lampoon's uh, mm -hmm. European Vacation, the movie, right? You know, it just <laughs> they keep going by. There's Big Ben, Parliament, you know. So I think a lot of British, British people are like that as well. They don't they don't know that. So it's one of those things. <laughs> but I mean, I guess in terms of other places that you could go in, I mean, it's a hard one because like London has changed so much since I was a kid. It's got gentrified in so many areas that weren't gentrified before. So like you had like East End of Hackney. I mean, you've got massive like Victorian houses now, you know, which is basically where the Windrush generation, the Irish went to now, like they're now million pound houses. It's crazy. Um, places like Brixton, you know, those sort of places where you see like um, that sort of culture. But it's again, gentrified. But if I was sort of coming in, I mean, I would sort of come into like the Notting Hill Carnival. That's around about August uh, bank holiday weekend obviously post COVID and I'm not quite sure how yes. that worked out, but that is, that, that's an amazing sort of thing to, to go and see. And I remember actually tell, tell a story years ago, I saw Destiny's Child there when they had their original four members. Oh, oh my wow. gosh. Yeah. Beyonce would go there now. That mean, that is, it's too low for the Beyonce now. There's no way she'd go over there. <laughs> oh man, I, I I feel like I was just like I've been kind of like into like old like '90s music, older. I don't want to say old. I don't know, but <laughs> old school. We've been kind of doing some dance parties with the kids, like with old school '90s music, and they're just like, you know, they're like, "Mom, what are we listening to?" And I'm like, "You gotta know who yeah. Destiny's Child is or whoever." But yeah, that's really cool that you. Yeah. And you know what I mean, though? The original members, though, before, obviously, too, obviously got a lot of Beyonce and Kelly. Yes. <laughs> and they had to go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're all, yeah, life is totally different now. I know. Um, yeah. So now we're, we're getting hungry now. We, we've gone on a good run. We've had a couple <laughs> of tube rides to get out to the parks and back, and we run. Um, where are we going to eat? Like a brunch? versus dinner versus you know i don't know pub life what are some yeah. interesting places to grab a bite oh so there's quite a few places so for breakfast there's a place called the cereal bar um sorry the cereal cafe 
and they've got like loads of like cereals from like us global so if you want to go there you can obviously pay for an expensive bowl of cereal (laughs) 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 but then i guess the typical thing people would say with like british food is like fish and chips so find a a good fish and chip shop um the thing about fish and chips is it's a a nice thing but i think like i always think it's always better by the sea by the Mm. coast as opposed to in, in the city but there are some good places that you can get it um there's a lot of culture here in the uk so like the Indian culture is like really sort of um, it has a massive impact, especially in terms of the food, in terms of like the choices. Are, I think like curries are such a big part of like national identity. So you can go down to Brick Lane, that's near Liverpool Street. So that's a good place. There's loads of restaurants there. I'm obviously thinking post pre COVID, obviously, <laughs> you wouldn't be able to go there now because it'll be closed because of the lockdown part two. Um, but then there's lots of like simple places like Vapiano's as well. I mean, that's like a global brand as well. And if you just want to get like good Italian food, you just cook really quickly. You know, you've got some of those places dotted around. But then there's a couple other places. So if you're like coming over and you really want to, you know, do something special, you know, go to somewhere like the Ritz or, do you know what I mean? And uh, Claridge's and afternoon tea, you know, for some like some food. I mean, it's like amazing. You go into these places, like there's a person playing the piano the corner there you know people play your seats you know it's all just like um it's like a really weird sort of not weird but weird in a good way it's just like a, a magical sort of space where like the, the real world doesn't really exist but uh the food's incredible in these places so definitely go to that mm. but then there's loads of like other restaurants as well i'd say like if you want to go outside of um london there's a place called the fat duck by uh, a guy called heston Blumenthal, and this guy is incredible basically it's like a mix between art and food so i mean you will get something amazing but the the wait list is pretty you know pretty long so if you can if you know you're going to go and you could try and get a place do that um that's in Berkshire, which is basically west of london but like train links are so you know you could get there in like no time awesome. that sounds amazing the fat duck cool okay i'll have to check it out and that that's the one thing and i'm glad you, you brought that up because <clears throat> Like the times that I've gone to London, everyone's like, you have to eat the Indian food. The Indian yeah. food there is amazing. So like, yeah. like I mean, and, I, and, and it's true. Like when I've gone and I've, I've eaten at an Indian restaurant, like it's like, oh my gosh. I don't know. There's just something about it that's different than Indian food here in the US. It's so good. Yeah. Do you have yeah. a particular place that you love for Indian food in the city or even outside of the city? Yeah, I mean... I've probably got a, a restaurant that I go to quite locally, but I probably won't say because then I'll reveal where I live. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but I tend to go for kind of similar type uh, dishes. It's always the way you look at the menu, like, yeah, the, no, I just go to what I normally have. So I tend to have like um, like a chicken sag, which is basically like a spinach dish, but it's like got a lot of spices to it. Um, so I like having that, and also with some poppadoms and some naan bread. Um, and then I have like a biryani, uh, which is like a, it's, I don't know, it's like, it's like a rice dish with like chicken or whatever meat dish as well. And then you've got like a side, like vegetable curry with it as well. So for me, I quite like, that's my kind of go-to sort of thing. And you could get it in most places. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, <laughs> the difficult thing is like when you go to Brick Lane sometimes is being able to choose because there's so many good restaurants. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Brick Lane. We'll have to, well, and everyone listening, we're going to put all of these recommendations from Marcus in the show notes. So you can refer to them when you go on your trip to London, when post COVID and everything is opening up again, Um, it'll be kind of a treat to 
be able to do that again. I miss traveling so much. Yes. Um, I also forgot to say, actually, the Shard as well. Go there. What's um, it called? The Shard, which is basically like the, I think the tallest building in the UK. And they've got a couple of restaurants up there. So you get great views and, you know, the food, the food's decent. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it's an experience. Sure. Mm. That's cool. I always think of London. I think of the pubs. I think yeah. of like going and having a pint of beer and just soaking up all the British atmosphere. So do you have a recommendation where I can get a good beer? <laughs> yeah. So actually, funny enough, there's actually something called the, do you know, the game Monopoly. Of yeah. course, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I so mean, fun. I can send you a link, but we'll put it on the show notes. It's basically, something called the Monopoly Pub Crawl. So you start out uh, basically at Old Kent Road, Road at the London, uh, sort of the Lord Nelson Pub, and you work your way down to Oxford Street at the Spread Eagle. So, um, yeah, th- that's a, I mean, that's a good one to try. Okay, so the Monopoly Pub Crawl. Yeah. Wait now, t- wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. So is this like you have to, you're going from pub to pub, so I'm going to be like drunk afterwards or what? (laughs) (laughs) Tell me more. If you weren't drunk after 26 pints, (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, I can't even get through one beer. I don't know, there's something, I love beer, but there's something about it like, and Gerald can tell you this, like I'll, I'll start drinking and I get through like maybe half of it. And then I don't know, it's like expands in my stomach and I can't drink anymore, but I, I want to. So yeah, yeah 26, so 26 beers is say, not happening. Do, do you do smaller, <laughs> you know, smaller s- sizes Tasted. than the pint? Because yeah, you're not going to get very far. <laughs> I'm, through, I'm sure someplace you get tasters, but yeah, it's generally like half a pint or a pint. But yeah, I know I know the feeling because I think you start off these all good attentions and then by probably pub two or three you're like i think we're gonna stay here (laughs) (laughs) and i've never even heard of this so is this like a local thing like locals know about the monopoly pub crawl no if you google it it's all on there so i think obviously it's something to sort of drum with a bit of business and interest so uh there's loads of things like that you can do like pub crawls on like on tube lines you know from like north to south and the northern line and you know or whatever so uh, i think there's so many different <laughs> i think people always make this up because they just like going to pubs <laughs> yeah yeah oh that sounds awesome <laughs> finish my marathon and go drink 26 pints of beer <laughs> a mile a pint a pint a mile, a mile? A pint. oh my gosh <laughs> my gosh <laughs> oh okay all right so i've got a big sweet tooth marcus where do i go yeah. or where should we go to get a really good dessert or what's what are some desserts that are like local local yeah. or, or you know that londoners like to indulge in i know um i always think of like what am i trying to say like something with like clotted cream and um you know um what am i trying to say like a yeah i'd say clotted cream yeah. Is that right? Is my my London accent, is it appropriate? And I know I need to probably work on it a little bit more. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Come on, we're talking about London. You don't think I could could come on here and not like try to at least give you a little bit of my London accent? Uh, It's like Dick Van Dyke in Mary Poppins. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Gaffner. <laughs> no, 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 like that. <laughs> Hello, um, yeah, so I, <laughs> yeah, that'd probably go back to my point about sort of afternoon tea, you know, like the Ritz, the Carlton, you know, those sort of places. 
that would probably be like my go-to. I mean, I wouldn't really say there's any sort of barbs of stuff you've mentioned. There's not any sort of standout kind of cuisine. I mean, I've got to admit, you know, I'm not selling cuisine that much, but there isn't like a definitive sort of uh, dessert, I'd say, that, you know, it's made like the UK famous that the world are like, I must go to London for this. (laughs) But generally it's for like afternoon tea at somewhere exclusive, like, you know, the places I mentioned. And they they are really cool. I mean, if you get a chance to book it, you'll have a great time. And uh, yeah. Okay. So what is your favorite season in London, like what's the best time to go or what do, what do you personally love? Summer, spring, winter, fall, what do you love? Uh, if I'm not running, I like summer. If I'm running, I like winter. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so like, yeah, I mean like with the family and things like that, I, I really enjoy the summertime. I really enjoy, like again, like the bank holiday weekend, which is the Notting Hill Carnival. So yeah, for me, when it's just, I think sun, you know, you're getting some vitamin D, you're out, you're enjoying it. I know you guys get more sun than we do. So, uh, <laughs> so I think for me, like, it's, it's a social thing. That's what I enjoy most. If I was, like, traveling, that's what I'd want to see. You know, no one wants to go and stay in where it's raining and, you know, you've got kids and stuff, everyone's moaning and this is like, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, live your best life. Like, no. <laughs> yeah. I can't, I know. It's so funny. And you're right. Obviously we get a ton more sun than you guys, but you know, our kids are hilarious. Like we woke up today and Gerald took them to the park and it was like, I don't know. It's too windy outside. Yeah. It was like, Uh. what it was like 59 degrees. And they're like, Oh my gosh, it's freezing cold. Mommy. I'm so cold. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? But they're so spoiled. They have no idea. So, And, and they were fine. We, I said, just run. And they started running around, playing in the sand, jumping on stuff. And then, and then they forgot about it. And the wind's blowing. And, eh, you know, and again, it's nothing compared to most other places as we're going into fall and yeah. winter. I'm like, come on, we'll go somewhere else. Needless yeah, to say, we won't bring them to London in, like, February. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, no, no. It's going to be, I mean, I think with, like, global warming or anything like that, it's, it seems to be warmer. Than it has been like when I was growing up as a kid. Like it'd be cold, but it's not as cold as it was growing up. So, you know, if you've got a coat, admit it, it's fine. And you're moving around, you know, it's fine. Now, you mentioned the Shard as the tallest building in London. Are there any, again, besides those, you know, to, you know, stereotypical tourist spots, are there any particular pieces of, uh, you know, just history, architecture, monuments, anything someone should see that's like out, maybe off the beaten path or out of the way that you say, you know what, you should really check this out. Yeah. Okay. So there's, there's a couple of things. I mean, like, depends if you're kind of this way inclined, but I like some people actually do like going to cemeteries. So there's a quite a famous cemetery, like um, I think Highgate Cemetery. So you've got like Karl Marx there, you've got um, George Michael buried there. So people do go to see those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of off the, the beaten path. But if you're kind of like, want to stick to like kind of mainstream type thing, if you want a bit of like buzz, you can go to like Shoreditch and those kind of places. So it's kind of like pretty buzzing. If you want to go shopping, you've got like Camden Market. Um, actually growing up, it used to be more of a market, but again, it's, it's one of these things that have become more gentrified. So they've got the markets, but they've got lots of other shops there as well. And it's a nice place to go to. So I mean, I'd say those kind of places, but then I guess if you want to kind of stick to the, the, the main tourist sort of things, you've got like, Tate Modern, British Museum, 
and say a post to say like when you go to New York, say like Monmar, example, like most of these places, like they won't let you in until you pay like the entry fee. Whereas Tate Modern and the British Museum, you can just walk in there for free. And they've obviously got the bits which are paid, but you can still have a day out with your family, you know, and have that don't have to pay that expense unless you want to go and see that that particular ex exposition exhibition sort of thing. So um yeah, I think those are kind of good things for the family to do. Cool. Awesome. Or people, or even people that don't have kids, because I know there are probably people that don't have kids that would want to see something too. So I think that that sounds like it'd be something good for anybody. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I still remember, you know, you talked about Hyde Park is being there on, I think it was a Sunday morning and ending up in Speaker's Corner and yeah. watching these people just flat out debate and argue about every yeah. topic under the sun. And it was this very interesting kind of balance between completely emotional, heated discussion, but civility at the same time. Yeah. And, so, and I, I always thought that was really interesting. I don't know if it's been a long time. I don't know if that's still as vibrant as it was, but yeah, that, yeah. Like, that was yeah. one of those things where I was like, I don't know if I would have ever thought we just happened to be in the park. And I was like, I got to listen to this for a while. <laughs> Yeah, it's still there. But uh, yeah, I think it's good to encourage open conversation and, you know, have those sort of debates, really. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's cool that it's still there because I do. I'm glad you brought that up. I totally remember that. Um, Marcus, I have a couple. Well, we have a couple of other questions we wanted to ask you. Um, I know the London Marathon is like obviously a huge draw for people. I mean, it's a world star major. People come to London just to run the London Marathon. But like, what other is there another race or races that you're like if you come to london definitely do this small little race or smaller race or this race that people don't really talk about very much do you have a race that you recommend other than london the london marathon well to be honest though i think i'd be doing myself a disservice because obviously on instagram i'm under at the marathon marker so i only see marathons <laughs> that's a joke really but uh you can, <laughs> Yeah, I know. Uh, you're the expert. Yeah, yeah. I know, should be, but yeah, I'd be up bar marathons. I don't see anything else. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, the, the London Marathon events. They've got a couple of the races. They've got like the big half. They've got the Vitality 10K. So, yeah, you've got those races. Then you've got other smaller uh, events like uh, Run Through, and they do uh, great sort of half marathons and you know, 5Ks, 10Ks uh, down in South London. They do stuff in Victoria Park as well. So I'd sort of say those ones, I think just generally for atmosphere, um, you've got, you know, some of the Royal Parks, uh, half marathon as well, quite good. You've got Richmond Park, marathon, half marathon. Um, yeah, I'd probably say those are the main ones. I mean, obviously when, <laughs> when things were normal, there were so many different races, like 5Ks, 10Ks, and obviously park run as well. So that's another thing where you don't have to pay to do it, but you basically have to go online and you sign up and you get like a barcode so you can do it and basically do 5K. And there's loads of locations around London and the UK and that you can go and join and, you know, take part for free, basically. But you've got to make sure you get that barcode printed off and signed up because um, then it counts, it counts your results. So, And a lot of people do like a park run tourism as well the country and, and different locations so you can basically tailor that to like where you're where you're based as well but obviously with covid at the minute it, it's kind of postponed until we know what's happening so i'd probably say like in terms of like community i think park runs a really good thing because it really unites a lot of people together 
and although running is the kind of umbrella it's actually more about a community and I think that's the good thing about what they're doing you know I and that's the one thing that I love about social media and being able to like meet runners from all over the world because it was through social media that I first heard about park run and I was like what is this and it just sounds like such a neat you know, community and way to meet people and run and race. So I love that. And I, you know, that's one great thing about meeting runners from all over the world. You find out all these little, just little different things that, that make their city so unique. So I love that. Um, Yeah. And speaking of community, one of the things that we're noticing as I'm noticing, and I think I've I've known this, but it's nice to hear it from other people and, and have it, it's a richer kind of experience now is to see how much the running store is a hub of the running community. So if I, you know, just for practical purposes, you know, I forget something, I wanna you know, stock up on some fueling cause I'm gonna be running while I'm there. Where are your, what's your go-to local running store or ones you like and recommend? So yeah, it's called the sweatshop. You can go there. Uh, but also if you're on a budget uh, store called Decathlon as well, they're pretty good. They, they've got like gels and everything and running kit, at, like a reasonable price. It's, you know, uh, so I'd say those ones, I'd say primarily. <clears throat> Marcus, this is so awesome. Thank you so much. We have, I have another, um, our last question that we'd like to ask people is if you could run anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? I want to do the Big Sur Marathon. That was on my list. A couple of years ago. Oh mm. yeah. That's yeah. A run. yeah, we'll do it together. Okay, here's what we're gonna do. You're gonna tell me when you yeah. want to do it, and I'll do it with you because I live in California and I haven't done it, and we love Big yeah. Sur. Yeah, it's great. So we'll do it together. That's perfect. Does that sound that's like a plan? Perfect. And it's a beautiful place to run in as well. So I've heard so many good things about it. So yeah, that's definitely one that I want to do. Um, Marcus Brown, thank you so much. Um, tell everybody listening out there where in the world they can find you if they're not already following you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me as a guest on uh, your podcast. And to be honest, I wanted to find out about your running in, in London as well, but I'll have to ask you that offline to be honest. But uh, to answer your question, <laughs> you can find me on Instagram at the Marathon Marcus, or one word. You can find me on my podcast called A Runner's Life, which is on apple Podcasts and google and spotify and you can uh, find my website at mark so marathon marcus or one words and the reason why it's called marathon marcus as opposed to the marathon marcus is because i think a couple of people took my my name on uh, instagram first so i got in there first the website oh my mm. gosh <laughs> so if you google there I, are quite so a few marathon marcuses so it's a weird when you sort of say the marathon marcus because like we say it in the third person it sounds weird Right, right. Yeah, no, that's so funny that there's other people. Hi to the other marathon Marcuses. <laughs> no, no, no. Let's talk about. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, hey, right. it's been. It's. I have to say, man, it's been an absolute pleasure to meet you this way. Um, and it it just kind of re, you know, just reaffirms the power of the technology, which just amplifies the power of human connection. You know, yeah. it's been an absolute blast. So thank you. Yeah, well, thank definitely, you. like I said before on your podcast, we definitely have to hook up when we come to London and when you come to LA, definitely we'll have to go for a run. Everybody go and listen to Marcus's awesome podcast, A Runner's Life Podcast. Subscribe, listen, you're going to love it. 
follow him um, with his new um, organization, Black Trail Runners. Um, Marcus Brown, you're amazing. So happy that you were, um, that you take the time to talk to us today. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for having me on the podcast. It's been great talking to you both. Absolutely. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Winning win, win English. <laughs> a huge thank you to Marcus for coming on the show. Marcus, we are so happy to know you, and we can't wait to come to London someday soon and go on a run and maybe drink a few pints of beer, but definitely not 26. You are such a big part of the running community, so keep doing awesome things, and we are excited to see you run that sub 245 in the very near future. Everyone, please do three things right now. Follow Marcus on Instagram at the Marathon Marcus. Follow Black Trail Runners also on Instagram, and subscribe and support Marcus's podcast, A Runner's Life which is an awesome show that he hosts every week with really interesting people in the running world. Follow us, Nat and Gerald, at Sweet Run, at Nat Runs Far, and at SweetRun.com. We're changing things around a bit on the website, and we're excited to share some sponsors with you in the coming weeks. A shout out to our new intern, Josh, who's also our 13-year-old son who's helping us with some key details that make the podcast come to life. Are you enjoying the show? We hope so. If you have thoughts or suggestions on a runner that you would like to hear on the show, leave us a DM at Sweet Run on Instagram. You know what would be really awesome? Leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribing to the show. We appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for being here. And we'll see you next Thursday for a new episode in a great location. Can you guess where we'll travel to next? We'll see you then. We will see you then.